Alright you guys, welcome back to another episode of Little Man Big Conversations. I'm of course the Little Man, aka Flashman, aka James, welcoming you back to another episode. Continuing on with our conversation with Josh Ives, IPW Impact Pro Wrestling Australia owner, also known as the wrestler R.I.P. Last week, for those that weren't listening last week, we chatted to Josh about his start in pro wrestling, how we ended up setting each other on fire, yes, it actually happened, and what led to him going from being a member of the locker room to owning one of the longest wrestling federation in Queensland history. So here we go, part two, we pick it up with Josh. So at this point, you're saying that your kids are your kids are now at the show. They're starting to watch it just like you were many, many moons ago. But hey, the transitional period's happening for you now. Hawk's still going through the sort of phase of, ah, oh, it's 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 not mine anymore, but I'm I'm missing it. But I know it's the right thing to do. But you know, it's it's a very tough time, I guess, for everyone because you're learning the ropes and and he's learning to not be in charge of of the business anymore. How? What's your personal life like at this point? Is that starting to be a factor into the fact that you're now running the company, or is life sort of allowing this allowing this transition to happen as smooth as possible? Well, um, I think firstly, Pete Pete was very helpful, like yeah. in terms of you know running a new business and stuff like insurance wise and all sorts of things, copywriting and all that. He was very helpful. And, um, but you could just see it was hurting him and, um, it it did put a bit of a strain on our relationship because, you know, we were, we were trying to do these new things and Pete was very much in, um, in the old way, you know, like that was his mindset was the old Mm. school Mm. sort of mindset. And so he didn't understand a lot of the choices I was making because like I had guys who were, who were smaller and I was elevating them on my card. And stuff like that. And he just couldn't understand that. He, he was more into the bigger guys, you know, like Scorn, myself, you know, people like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so that that put a little bit of a strain. But at the end of the day, we were really close. And um, we're both hot-headed. So we were able to cool each other out on our bullshit, which is great. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, you know, I had a, a little um, – how old was she been? So uh, my first was born in 2013. So she was, um, she was about two at this mm. time. And, and um, she was already starting to enjoy watching the wrestling and stuff. And so, you know, it was hard juggling all that and having a kid. And then, um, then going from that to also, I was actually changing jobs. I was, I was uh, leaving one job I worked in for six years and moving on to another. So there was that transitional period too. So it was all very overwhelming. Yeah, but at the same time, I know um, the locker room were just great. Um, mm. When when the transition, I had to um, um, look. I'll be honest. I had to sit a few people down and say, "Look, um, I'm going to be changing how we're doing things. I don't really want to go with this angle for for your character right now." Mm. And you know, a lot of people were frustrated with that. Um, and yeah, and so I um, changed a lot of people's positions on the card and um, all that sort of stuff. So people did leave, I'll be honest, they did leave because um, especially some of the older guys who who weren't really involved anymore anyway, but they were coming in regularly just to do their quick appearance and leave. Mm. But I was trying to push the more, uh, 
push their athleticism a bit more. And because they were taking a bit of a back seat and not doing these main events all the time, um, a group of people left. And that is fine because I completely understand where they're coming from. It's a change of um, perspective to the business mm. and not everyone's going to like it. But at the end of the day, um, most of the guys all stuck by me. Um, I think I think three people left. And, yep. um, yeah, but other than that, it was it was um, a really good transition. I had a lot of guys really look after me and, and watch my back sort of thing. And, yep. um, you know, there were some people that I had to, like, teach how to put up the ring and then left them with the responsibility of being there every time I've got to set up the ring so then I can rely on them. Mm. And um, those sort of people are what keeps a wrestling business running, you know? Yeah. And um, it was really comforting knowing that I had those group of guys and I'll forever hold a lot of love for them because um, I, I owe them one because they did really look after us. But I think the hardest thing of it all was, you know, financially it is, right. it is taxing Yeah, running a wrestling business. And um, when you're in a relationship and you have a kid and all this sort of stuff, it's very hard to juggle. Mm. And um, that's where I take my hat off to Taryn, my wife, because she um, knew that this is a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. And she, she knew that I'd be lost if I didn't have IPW. Um, and so she, she took it on the chin and um, tried to take over and help me with the transition. And so she ended up taking care of DVDs, the website, editing, our posters, she taught herself how to um, do Photoshop and editing on videos. And just she was just uh, an all-round miracle because she mm. also took on the responsibility of the canteen and stocking and budgeting, and she was just incredible. And um, it became really stressful at times. Yeah. Um, but she just she kept going and kept helping me, and now, you know, we, we started to really gain a bit of momentum. And anyway, about six months after I've taken over, the crowd numbers go from about 60 to 80 people, and they're now up in the 200s, wow. which is great. It was a yeah. huge improvement. Mm. And um, and then at, a year after that, we got a crowd where we had 440-something um, people in the, in the hall, which um, is a huge number, especially for indie wrestling. Mm. So we were so happy with that. And then the, the huge crowds just kept coming, which um, I, I actually take narrow that down to the roster, you know, helping promote the shows, handing out flyers and doing all that stuff to Taryn was so, you know, working her ass off with promotions and mm. uh, different ways to do things. And, and yeah. And um, I think with Pete out of the business now, I think, um, at that time anyway, like he, he was really happy for me, which I think yep. is really nice, you know, that he was yep. really happy that things were going well, which would have been hard, but yeah. So was it, take, taking it back real quick to where the transition period happened, you had to sit a couple of guys down, that process in itself, I mean, I, I know the, the kind of people that are in this industry where you kind of have to sit them down and go, hey, you know, this isn't what you're thinking it needs to be, but it needs to be this, this, and this, and this. But you've always been a pretty much a business first kind of guy, but you got to wonder, and I'm wondering this, when those select few, and I don't know who they are, but you mentioned that the select few decided, no, nah, I'm out of here, adios. 
did you feel like taking that? Was that taken personally by you? Because you know, there's guys that have been there, you know, for as long as the day is long. But you know, did you feel like that was a personal thing when they went, "No, I'm out of here," or did you were you thinking, "Okay, business is business." These the guys who left. Um, out of I think the three guys who are on our shows who left. Um, only one of them was what I would refer to as a soldier. And so a soldier is, uh, you know, live by the business, by the company name and die by the business sort of thing. Very loyal to Pete. And um, there was a bit of honour about it. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, that one person leaving, yeah, that, that hurt a little bit. But at the end of the day, I understood where he was coming from as well. Right. Um, but he, I think it was actually down to a lot of his own insecurities because he was an older wrestler and, um, you know, times are changing, mm. but, um, at the end of the day, we still made up six months right. later. So, um, but the other two, they were guys who, um, just came in and were just part of the furniture, but they didn't really contribute mm. to helping at all. And, um, a lot of it come down to, Hey, look guys, I need you to, to give me a hand here. And, you know, and also like, I can't book you this way all the time. We gotta, we gotta change things around. And, um, from the get go, they weren't, they weren't happy with it. And these weren't people who were, um, IPW loyalists. So I wasn't, um, fussed if they got upset and left because, um, I knew what their intentions were and it was just, to look after themselves. And I completely understand that it's a dog eat dog world, but as a business owner, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm looking at the whole picture right. and um, yeah, cause I consider the group of guys that we have, we're family and we all need to be given a certain um, platform to display our abilities. You know, mm-hmm. um, Pete was all about giving people a chance. And yeah. I think that was Pete's best quality was giving the, the, underdog a a place in wrestling so yeah yeah. i mean speaking firsthand from wanting a place in wrestling to i guess as you said an underdog uh yeah he was very much a see through the bs kind of guy but he was also one if uh if you were struggling with like say social anxiety like you weren't the biggest confident person not only within yourself but i guess talking to strangers man he had a way of channeling into your inner Coming into that inner demon, slapping it out of you, and making you perform to the best of your ability that he know you that that you could do. Um, yeah, he found that with me. Like I was sort of feeling really uneasy, and again, no one made me feel like this except myself. But I was feeling at that point, man, am I am I insulting people being down here? Like I I really uh, I was at the one time when I really sort of second guessed my height. Um, being around, you know guys of a a bigger nature but you know pete was like man no that's not important here what's important is yeah you know he's he's uh he's a smaller dude and as he liked to say he's uh four stone ringing wet i think he what he used to call me um (laughs) but he used to always say he's like hey you know this guy has got um a big personality 
And he goes, yeah. that's that's what I find interesting. And then, you know, I did the impressions and things like that to start off my career. And, you know, he loved it. But, yeah, he was always good like that to a lot of the guys. There was a lot of guys that came through there that started off real in their shell, like even trying to shake their hand or say, how are you going? Oh, yeah, good, good. And, like it was yeah. very much a, wow, is there anyone home? Like is this? Is- he would give. Do you remember Ayla? I'll say her name, Ayla. Do you remember Ayla? So she was this girl who was the sister of a wrestler. And she could play the guitar really well. And she'd sing songs like Taylor Swift sort of style songs, but even softer, like really calming music. But he he saw a talent in her playing the guitar mm. and he thought, oh, look, she's really battling with her confidence at the moment. Maybe we should put her on the show. And everyone looked at him like, what the hell? But he just wanted to give her a chance. So she would be in the ring sitting on a chair playing the guitar singing these really wholesome, soft songs before the show. And no, and the whole crowd was suffering because of it, because it was just so calming. No one was getting pumped for the show. Mm. But that was when his heart got in the way because he was just trying to look after the underdog, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, that's that's Pete all over is, um, yeah, looking after the underdog and um, giving everyone a chance. Yeah, he was. He uh, even if it cost him either financially or if the if the business suffered in some sort of way that was unforeseen, it didn't matter to Pete because they were, he'd always find a way to bounce back. He always knew that hey, this will pay off in the long run, and that's just something that he always strove by. He wasn't afraid of taking the hits, quite literally taking on the chin in some instances and recovering, you know, a show or two later, and mm. making people realize that the people that acted out so negatively to the initial change two months later were the ones knocking on his door going, you were right. I'm sorry. And yeah, exactly. That, and that's something that I've always remembered that he would do not only for myself, but a lot of guys down there. But mm. speaking of you, speaking of yourself, cause he always, you know, had kept an eye out on you um, in more ways than one at this point, the transitional periods happening. He's, he's over time. He's learning to accept it. Um, guys, you know, down there are saying, yes, we want to stay. Some are going, no, thank you. You're starting to get the crowd numbers back up. It's around this time now where there's probably about a year or so under your belt at this point, and a lot of other companies start popping up all over the map. And there's generated interest with guys wanting to work, other shows, other companies. At this point in time, Given the history of that company, there was always a closed door policy. It was a case of you stay here, you wrestle here, that's how it is because you trained here. That was the kind of vibe. And that's Mm. a very old school mentality vibe to have. And it's not wrong and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that's how it was down there. For you, when you took it over uh, and we're about a year or so in now, was there a conversation or something that tweaked your your mind or your feeling on it? Was it a conversation that you had to have at the family dinner table, so to speak of, Hey, we're going to start opening the doors here and letting not everyone, but letting people come in and uh, either go out and experience other federations that you had a business relationship with or bring people in from other federations. Was there ever a conversation about that? And how did that call come about? Yeah. So um, this was a conversation that Taryn and I had, mm-hmm. and um, we had a lot of, as soon as I took over, I, I kid you not, like my messenger just flooded with people coming out of their woodwork and wanting oh, to come wow. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then um, it also had a bunch of new guys. Um, and people, when you're in a position of 
I guess, management, when, when the spotlight's on the employee, they usually take a chance to slag someone else off. So there I've had, I got a lot of messages of people saying, look, I'm so unhappy in this company that I'm in. Mm. I, I want to come over to you, blah, 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 blah. And, um, yeah, so it, it really was full on. Um, and so out of, out of all those messages, I really sat down with Taryn and talked about it. And then we kind of, I wanted, I wanted to keep it a family business. The people on my shows, I trust with my life sort of thing. Right. And, and that's what I do. Um, and I still do that now. If you're on my shows and I trust you mm. and, um, and if, if I'm no longer putting you on my shows and there may be a reason for it, or it could be that we're just overbooked because, right. um, yeah, but with with that mentality, Pete really didn't want me to have people from interstate or um, uh, other companies come over because he had horrible experiences with other Queensland companies. Other um, guy, he brought guys from ECW over, and they, they yeah. really stiffed him on money. And he just didn't want me to get into that. Um, sort of business because he, he'd seen how mean the business can be. But mm. I look, I took the risk um, and I made some mistakes with booking certain people who um, ended up being a real handful, but a lot of them also, are, you know, are gems and, you know, underappreciated in wrestling. But I will always book my roster. If they're the worst wrestler in, in the world, I'm still going to try and train them as much as I can and give them that chance in the ring to display yeah. their ability. And um, because I want to look after them, I want to give them that self-confidence. And I think I get that from Pete. Mm. Um, mm. And I've been, I've been told flat out to my face that, you know, that's not doing your company any favors. It's not doing your product any favors. Um, and my answer is always, well, we're a family, fuck off, because that's how it is. Um, I want to give everyone a chance. And so, yeah, I I started building relationships of companies in Queensland. There's some companies that I didn't like, like we had one promoter hand out flyers of his own show at one of our shows, which was a big drama. Um, Stuff like that I I didn't appreciate. But at the end of the day, we're all doing – in this for the same reason. And that's, um, the passion of wrestling. So, um, yeah, like I got to that stage and started using other people and that was it, you know, like it, it started working out. So was that something that you always wanted to do, uh, leading into the transition of the company or was it something where you thought, Hey, let's just try and see what, see what happens here. Um, when, when I was, uh, just a person on the shows um, mm. when Pete was running it, I would call him out on it and say, why aren't you bringing so-and-so over there in town? Why, why can't um, one of our girls wrestle this girl who's from out of town instead of wrestling one of the guys. Right. And he, he really hated me for that. He really would go off at me for it. Um, I remember having some really, really heated arguments about this sort of stuff, but mm. One, it was my own naivety because I wasn't considering in a cost factor with having people in. And two, it was he, uh, Pete being, you know, still stuck in the old way mentality and wanted to be around the people that he trusts. Yeah. So, you know, it was give or take. Mm. 
Because, uh, yeah, Pete had been scorned uh, quite a bit in the wrestling industry, not only from, I guess, coming up in the, the era where it was very much hard-hitting thrash style in your face, you know, the 70s and the 80s style of wrestling, which it was basically, you know, I'm going to make you bleed the hard way and what are you going to do about it? You know, guys were quite literally scratching and, and clawing for their spots as, as it is in all famed books and documentaries you read about it back then. You know, a lot of the times those fights, depending on how you go along with people, sometimes they turn into a shoot, turn into a real thing in that ring. And then what are you going to do about it? So there were situations like that and, you know, especially um, coming up through the 2000s where, you know, I can completely understand that whole vibe of, hey, I don't know, like, I don't know about letting more people in. Like, we've got a good net of people here and we're safe and it's secure and, hey, this is home, this is a family, the locker room's good, everyone's nice here. I don't know, opening that up to strangers, it's, you know, I don't want people to be influenced by this stranger. I don't want the stranger to influence them and take them away. So I completely, I can see both sides. Um, but, yeah, I can also see how that would lead to some some pretty heated arguments at the, uh, at the proverbial dinner table, if you will. But, yeah. I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what. Mm. Um, with with the scratching and clawing to get to the top, well, the way Pete had it was, you know, we all – it was how um, he perceived us, not how the audience was reacting to us. It was how he perceived us in a realistic way. Did we look like we're in a fight? Yeah. Or um, did he resonate with the character that we were displaying? But with nowadays, it's, you know – People are scratching and clawing in a different way. It's talking to the booker on Messenger on Facebook and mm. trying to manipulate things behind the scenes with booking. So it went from fighting to politicking, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, that's – I prefer the fighting. I really do. And that's one thing that I miss about the old wrestling was that we we all just went out there, did our thing. We didn't go and complain to the booker or complain to one of the people in management about their spots on the card, we just went out there and did as best we could. And if we were given the heavyweight title, which you were, Flash, you were given the heavyweight title, I was given yeah. a position to be in that, uh, to have that title. We earned it. We went out there and beat the crap out of each other, and it was competitive. Mm -hmm. I remember um, I was wrestling a match. It was a triple threat, and I was supposed to get speared through the ropes and fall onto the floor. And then the people in the match knew this was a number one contender and knew that I was most likely going to win and they weren't happy about it. So when I went to take my big bump and the other guy was supposed to catch me, he just sidestepped me and I flew onto the floor, onto the concrete and cracked my back and my head slapped back into the ground. Oh, and yeah. it was a hard bump. Uh, I used to have it on camera, awesome bump. But um, I finished the match, I won the match. And then I went on to win the heavyweight title. Yeah. And I felt when I won that title, I felt like I really fought for it. Mm, mm. And like when I won that heavyweight title, the guy I was wrestling, Nick Burns, is an MMA fighter. Every hit he did to you, like he nearly broke my collarbone with a drop kick. But he knew that he had to push me to be, you know, on top of the card. He needed, yeah. I needed to display that athleticism. And when I won, I was that much happier. But nowadays it's, you know, how you're, how you're conducting yourself, which is, which is right, but also it's about politicking and being friends with the right people. And you've got to be really careful about how you book people because 
it can't just be about your own perception of them. It's got to be mm. how the crowd are reacting, how how the boys in the locker room are getting along with that person. Is he setting a good good example? Yeah. And um, both ways of doing things were wrong, but I just miss the the achievement of doing something physical and winning it and feeling like you fought a war for it. You know what I mean? The, yeah, the grit of uh, the grit of achieving it. You know, actually going through the paces and actually jumping through those jumping over those hurdles and through those rings to feel like, oh, man, what a journey. But, hey, I, I sort of built it on my own steam rather than I asked nicely and sort of managed to talk my way into it. Yeah. Yeah. Though that uh, that is a mechanic that in certain times that does sort of rear its head more often than not. So I completely understand that not only as a performer but as a, as a business owner now that that whole system must be something, if not a, a monthly, you know, must come up for you couple of months a uh, couple of months every year that someone must sort of go hey you know i've done this 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 and this and it's like oh great well i really appreciate you helping out the company but that doesn't equal a championship um, yeah yeah they they a lot of the time it's um i i did you a favor now reward me sort of thing mm. and it's I, I don't like that attitude at all and no, um, if, if, if i get if i get put in that position um i usually just smile and nod my head and that's and I've I've thought in my head, well, um, I'm not going to be uh, rewarding that. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I I watch how people do do training and look after each other, and that that's mm -hmm. what I'm watching. I'm not I'm not looking to repay favors, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah it is a. And that's just how it was. That's how it's always been down there, and that's how it should be in wrestling. It should be a thing of uh, you work hard, you know, you get paid even harder, or you get rewarded even harder, it should be. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was something that was always drilled into me upon starting there. But for you now, you're a couple of years in to being the, the promoter now. You're also an active worker at the time as well. Mm -hmm. When does it reach the point where it starts feeling like to you, okay, I feel like we're on a bit of a groove here, uh, things are starting to – sort of somewhat feel automatic each month. Like I know this has got to be done. This has got to be done. This has got to be done. How long into that transition period did you feel like, okay, this is done become a well-oiled machine or was there still parts there that were starting to sort of rattle and shake and needed a bit more attention before you've sort of got the, that groove and that mentality going? Um, I, I put a lot of energy into training. Right. Um, yeah. With training our people um, yep. and preparing for the winter, you know what I mean? Preparing for, um, you know, wrestlers moving on, which they do, whether they go to the States or Japan or they've, they've lost the passion for the business and leave or whatever it is, mm. should always be building up wrestlers. And that was hard. That That's really hard to prepare. Um, because prepare for them leaving? Because is it like a sudden thing, like they're going, oh, hey, man, I'm heading off to this place? Do they kind of tell you the week of or do they give you a bit of notice? Oh no, they've always been, um, there's this thing at training where there's a couch outside training and right. usually when everyone's training, they'll say to me, uh, one person will step out and like, Hey Josh, can I talk to you? And whether it's a, a personal discussion or whether it's about business, uh, we'll go out and sit in that chair and have a chat. Right. And I think that's a really good thing to have, like a, a doors always open sort of mentality. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, and then that's when they would tell me, "Oh, look, I'm I'm going to the states and so and so. Let's let's prepare this with the storylines or um, whatever we've got to do to prepare for them leaving." And so that's why it's always good to have a wild card, so someone on your 
one of your trainees, you know, ready to step up onto the card because there's a vacancy. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that's, that was one thing that was, that I do, do struggle with even now is because so many people are, are moving around and about or someone gets injured or whatever. Um, you've always got to have a wild card and keep things fresh. Mm. Um, another thing is, um, yeah, just, just advertising different ways of advertising. Cause the crowd keeps changing. Cause yeah. like when WWE came out in 2018, it was so easy to get a big crowd to your shows because everyone was excited for WWE to be coming. Mm. And then when WWE leave, where it gets quiet again. And so we've got to look for another avenue to get promotional material out there. So yeah. there's, there's little, little things. I, I guess I call it growing pains, you know, like we're growing as a business, there'll be new obstacles and juggling, juggling family life was hard for a little while. Yeah, I don't really know, to be honest. It was just one obstacle after the next, and you've either got to uh, hit the nail on the head right away or, or, or learn how to deal with it, you know? So, well, the thing is, too, is that specifically with federations and more more focused on IPW at this point, that company started around the time when print media was pretty much uh, the, the best avenue for advertising mm-hmm. for a wrestling show, whether it be in a magazine, newspaper, flyers. Yeah. I mean, some guys would maybe go on their local news and be like, hey, and speaking, and it would be a very much a fluff piece at the end of the channel, you know, channel, channel 9, 6 p.m. news. It would be like, and this dog learned to swim. Also, there's wrestling on. Good night. Mm. It would be a very much a fragmented blink and you'll miss it kind of advertisement. Sometimes with radio as well, guys would come in, yeah, man, uh, come in at 6 in the morning and have 10 minutes to advertise the show and it's like man there's not who's okay and it would be the day of and it's like oh yeah uh, so in 12 hours time I'll be wrestling down at this place it's uh, uh, four hours away from this news from this radio station but that was sort of the avenues back then that was the only way to advertise and nowadays and not every not every company I did say you know a lot of these companies were, were brought up in the, the days of print media but a, a lot of companies now are starting to either begin or evolve into the era of social media. Like a lot of yeah. companies now will start and they'll already be the Facebook. They'll already be the Instagram, the Twitter, mm. um, you know, the Snapchat, whatever, whatever they want to use to advertise, Hey, come and see us. And I don't know. I, I've always felt that although the social media and publishing posts and sponsorships and things like that, I've all, very well organized and structured and targeted towards specific age groups and people that like their interests, depending on how much they've revealed on their social media. I feel like with wrestling, wrestling is arguably one of the main forms of entertainment that will still thrive and to some extent still gain most notoriety and attention from print media. Mm. Um, Like if I open a newspaper article or I see a magazine and a wrestling uh, advertisement is there, be it a poster or a flyer or what have you. Hell, man, about 80% of me wants to go to that. And that's not even me talking from the industry history that I've had. That's just saying like, oh, wow, you know, it's something different in this magazine, this newspaper. Hmm. Not a lot of other things can get away with that. Sure, you can advertise concert like, you know, Elton John's coming, which, you know, is a huge name. People go, oh, wow, I didn't know he was touring. Things like that nature. But that's still, you know, those ads are on TV, those ads are on the radio, those ads are on the bus stop, you know, they're everywhere for those kinds Mm. of gigs. But for you as a business owner, do you think that given the fact that IPW was brought up during the era of print 
print media and radio advertisement. Do you still think those kinds of outlets still have a, a position in wrestling these days, specifically your company, or do you think, hey, social media has kind of been the way to go? Um, I think, look, I do, if I had to give like a really brief response, I'd say, yes, social media is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do see results with flyers, handing out flyers to people, yeah. going and talking to people face to face, especially, yeah. especially going to fates and, um, you know, the ECA or, uh, the markets or anything like that, going and doing those things, um, does build a rapport with the community. And I think that's, what's great is we, we have one venue that's Narain, and that whole area knows who we are. That whole area knows when we're performing and they all tell their friends and they all bring them along. And so we've always got a consistent crowd. Um, so familiarity is really helpful because it does all the advertising for you via word of mouth, but yes, social media is the way to go because nothing, nothing else can reach the amount of people that social media can. Mm. Um, I, I really struggle with understanding it. I get, um, the IT guys that I have work for us in IPW, they, they really struggle with me because I don't know what the hell they're talking about, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but you know, like that's just how it is. And, um, but really like, yeah, social media is the way to go. And, um, and yeah, like I think also making an appearance in the community is, is really helpful and it does draw people in. Children are great, you know, like, um, kids really light up when they see wrestling. And so any, any, um, we, we still do a lot of charity work and, um, that it, that's not even for our crowds, but we, we always make sure that, you know, the special, um, individuals who, you know, you can see have a real passion for the business. Um, when they just see these guys in colorful outfits, you know, when they light up. And so we have our regular fans, um, and we, we make them free customers because we can just see their, um, their faces light up and yeah, that's, that's about community. Mm. It's about, um, you know, connecting with your audience and trusting that, you know, they're going to be loyal fans and, support us yeah no that that is one of uh one of the many strong suits that i've noticed within with ipw is the fact that they have that i wouldn't say a cult following because it makes it seem like it's underground it's hidden and it's sort of whispered behind back alleys like oh wrestling's on tomorrow like it's not yeah it's not a cult uh cultified um business but it does have that very loyal fan base and whether it's because you've been in that area now going on eight years or whether or not it's the fact that um, it is just something where it is targeted for family fun entertainment, where a, a lot of the shows up and down the line will run the risk of running that uh, close to, I guess, uh, eighteen plus adult kind of uh, yeah. aimed targeted market, which isn't a bad thing at all. Mm. Um, but some of them do tailor to that, and that works for them, and that's fine. But IPW has always had that family friendly fun night out with the kids kind of vibe and for the amount of time that it's been in the ring man it's it's been thriving it's it's developed a following and yes it does have now that wrestling based community because a lot of people 
um, and I'm sure you've experienced this now as a business owner, let alone a performer, is that a lot of families and a lot of skeptics, I would say, not so much in the industry, but people that know of the industry and arguably, no matter who you ask, in some way, shape or form, yes, they have a history with wrestling. Either it was watching it with the grandparents or seeing it on TV, but a lot of the times that history, it was kind of, oh, it was on as a kid and I've forgotten about it. You know, they don't really know it, but they have been shown it at some point in their life. What they've been shown is that old mantra of black and white guys and, you know, their swimsuit trunks or their tights and, you know, they've got their tights on, they've got their boots on and it's black and white or they're all oiled up and it's two dudes fighting and it's that old sort of, you know, race call driver and, oh, here he comes and wow, what a move. Like it's very much a, oh, this. And then you try and do it in 2020 and go, yeah, come and see this. They have that image in their head. So now it's a case of, oh, do I really want to see this down at my local area, wherever the show may be at? But I can guarantee once they, whoever it is, if you have that community aspect and someone says, oh, yeah, and you see that flyer and, oh, you know, that wrestler looks a bit silly, odds are there'll be someone in that vicinity, whether it be in that community that says, hey, I know what you're talking about. Nah, it isn't what you think. It is family-fun entertainment. And, man, it is a good two, two and a half hours of your night out. Yeah. Do you, do you guys, because I know it is a community down there and I know arguably a lot of the fans are very, very loyal, do you still suffer from that mechanic of people coming in looking a bit skeptic, but arguably a lot of the time them leaving going, wow, I was wrong, this is awesome, and then coming back the following months? Or is it a case of, man, everyone's just sort of more open to it now? Um, I think usually because it's a family thing and they're bringing their kids in, mm. if they're – Nine out of ten times, the kids are very much entertained by it all. They're yeah. watching the happiness on their kids' faces, and that's all that matters. And so yeah. I'm pretty sure that, like, most people who come in, 99.9% of people that come in are satisfied because they're watching their kids have a good time. And if it's just a couple going on a date, it's it's a bunch of guys in pink leotards throwing each other around that, that are carrying on like idiots. It's entertaining. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, like the only time I've had people um, say complain about the content that we've had on shows, mm. it's because it's been too adult. So, right. you know, whether a wrestler's gone into business for himself on the microphone and said a swear word or referenced something sexual or, you know, stuff like that, that's when, um, you know, um, families complain. But also, um, Backstage, you know, you would have seen um, we've got like uh, we call it gorilla position, like WWE do. You know, we've mm-hmm. got a we've got a computer set up and a and a TV, and I and I talk over the headset on what I you know what the referees doing and the announcers and all that. But um, it's a really cool setup. But sometimes I just take a risk, and whether if it goes into the edgy sort of audience stuff, sometimes there'll be backlash from it, and that's when I'll get you know, maybe the odd little complaint or something like that. Right. But really, um, people, when they go to IPW, um, they're, they're welcomed at the door. Um, people chat to each other. We also have like a fan page where it's just for fans to talk about wrestling. Mm. Mm. And they're, they're talking about their favorite wrestlers or their kids doing the Jesse love dance or stuff like that. And yeah. again, that's working on maintaining that community. Mm. Um, because it doesn't maintain itself. You've got to encourage it. 
and get them to interact with each other. And um, yeah, and that's what wrestling should be all about, that 80s mentality. Yeah, yeah, it definitely should be, man, because that arguably is when it sort of transitioned from being uh, sport into the origins of what would become sports entertainment. It was during that sort of transitional phase of the 80s where it was these big, bright, colourful dudes. But then I think the, you know, the not so much the over-the-top, but the melodrama and the storyline started to become a bit more, uh, bit more colourful. It wasn't just a case of... Uh, you know, he beat me up and this Saturday night at the local blah, blah, blah. I'm going to come and be you know, like, okay, cool. Yeah, that'll get the doors in. But this is a time when it's like, you know, the four horsemen coming through and the rock and roll express and, mm. um, things like that, where it's like, man, you know, the Von Ericks and, and people of that nature going, man, these guys are coast to coast, town to town. They don't like each other, but Hey, that was the storyline that they had. Mm. But it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the, the, the kids are obviously the big target market of, of getting the families in because, you know, probably the odds are the parents have said, what do you want to do on a Saturday night? Oh, I want to go and see wrestling. Mm. Um, and I discovered that, especially with the kid fan base, when I was down there at a, as a full-time performer, I kind of had that – I was speaking to someone about this the other day. It, it felt like a very much a pigeonholed aspect, which, yes – from a size perspective, no one on that roster could match me because I'm the only dude of my size on that roster at that time from the opposite end of the scale. However, at the same time, I had almost like, and I mentioned it just before, but in this aspect, it's kind of true. I almost had like a cult-like following from these kids because mm. they took one look at me and they said, oh, he's like us. And yeah. there's no way you can explain to a kid, you know, anywhere between the ages of six to 14, whatever it would be. Oh, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. They go, there you are, superhero. And that mm. was it. That was just a case of, okay, that's what I am now. But yeah, they're, they're very loyal. They're very loud, but they, they know what they like. And sometimes, yeah, you do have to push that envelope. I know many a times when I was working with Hawk, we tried to push that envelope a couple of times. Sometimes it worked. Hey, sometimes it didn't, but that's the break. Sometimes you just have to roll and see what works. Because sometimes mm. sometimes the most detrimental thing in this business is saying is staying stagnant, just doing the same mm. thing night after night, going out there, going out there, doing the same taunt, the same move, getting the same action, same result. And you go, yeah, but man, I, I wouldn't mind seeing this guy be put in this position in terms of a storyline. Or hey. And do something different, yeah. Yeah, but but because of because of IPW's position where they are of the crowd aspects, sometimes yeah, having the storylines and changing it up is awesome, and you can run that risk of maybe doing things a little bit more mm, PG thirteen M rating, if you will. Obviously, you're not going to go for the R rating because it's a family show, but you can push that envelope and say, all right, let's take it to an M rating, see what we can do. Mm. Oh, they didn't like this, this, and this. Okay, let's add, let's take that out. And let's sub it in with this and see how that goes. Great. We've received no feedback negatively from that. Okay. Let's see how this far we can go with that. So it is wrestling's arguably one of those things where you constantly, if not at training from a monthly aspect, you have to consistently put in the effort and evolve and remain as fresh and as new and as, as current as you can, because if not, you run that risk of being stagnant. Once it gets stagnant, hell, it becomes a very hard process to convince not only your fans, but the workers and hell people from an outside perspective. No, no, it's fresh and new. I promise. And mm. they come in and go, yeah, but you know, last time I was here that, uh, that same guy was yelling out the same words and doing the same thing, had the same music. Oh, oh yeah. But we have a new DVD out. 
yeah, okay, but on that DVD, same guys, with the same music, doing the same thing, yelling the same words at the same opponent six months ago. So it is one of those processes that you have to sort of remain consistently keep those wheels turning and wheels moving. Do you find that pressure each and every month now, or is it at that point now where, hey, everything's a world-old machine, we, we put in changes and we shift accordingly, but it isn't a process of staying stagnant. You've stayed at the same building now for eight years, but that's not a bad thing. It's gotten that following. It's gotten that crowd numbers up. It's working for you guys. But creatively, is there a consistent shift and change each and every month to, con- to keep making it feel fresh? Or is it now is it now in a position of, well, we'll make it feel fresh, but we'll adjust things if and where they need to be? I think we should always have the audience have a hero the audience should always have a villain but you can change it around make things fresh um Mm -hmm. we had uh bojack you know he he had a mask on which immediately immediately means you're a face you know most of the time it means you're a face and uh he had a huge following because he'd do lots of flippy stuff and um the crowd loved him for it blah 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 and anyway i was wrestling his tag partner reaper Right. And um, Reaper, I, I think I'd just given him a pole driver through a table and a bunch of other crazy stuff. He jumped off the roof. Um, anyway, like we did all this crazy stuff and um, he's about to, he's having his comeback and he's about to put me away. And, and um, I, I wiggle my way out of it and try and get a bit more control. And Bojack runs down the ramp to save Reaper. And um, then he swerves and hits reaper instead then bojack drops to his knees and i put my hand over his face and take his mask off and when the the fans are all looking at him they see these um i think he had black demonic eyes he had eye contacts in yeah and um that was a huge shift change you know like it went from the face of the company turning heel it was like hogan with nwo you know Mm. but um Mm. Yeah, like he he had a lot of fans and a lot of people would dress up as him and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he wasn't champion. He was, you know, in, in the undercard. But um, we risked it and started a tag team and and worked as heels. We did the opening monologue sometimes at every show. And um, and look, that, that was a huge gamble. Mm. And, it, you know, it could cost me money but it kept people coming in the doors for um, about two months after it because they wanted to know um, why, why he would do this. Is Reaper going to get revenge? Where's Reaper? What's happened? And um, it, it gave Reaper a new edgy side of revenge mm-hmm. and Bojack this new side to be a psychopath, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a good idea to, you know, keep things fresh. But, I, again, um, you don't want to be – um, heel turning every show or face turning every show, but you also don't want to. Um, another thing that people don't like is music getting changed every month. So yeah. a, a huge thing that I hate, and I know you you don't like this either. Mm. And that's that's that wrestlers will go to a show and change their music every month. Yeah. But then you lose <laughs> yeah. your whole pop. Yeah. The crowd don't know who who the fuck you are. Like. Mm. So that that's really frustrating, and um, yeah, there's there's time for change and keep keep things different. Um, like my character, it's R.I.P. himself. I'm sure we'll talk about that um, 
spastic later on, but he he does something different every time he wrestles, and it may not be pretty, but I try and keep it so it's different and it's unconventional. And that's his character. That's why I do it. It doesn't always work. It may look like crap to the audience, mm. but at least I'm trying to keep things different and um, spontaneous. And so, mm. um, yeah, like I think every show should have – um, a real wow factor to it in different ways. And um, also like spotlighting in different divisions. Like I'm a fan of um, giving them the middle, middle card title. So, you know, uh, our version of the intercontinental title, like the unified title, mm. giving that the main event for the show, because the, the feud building up to it has been so good. Um, giving people a different platform on our shows. And that's what keeps things fresh. And it gets people talking, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, you, you speak about fresh and hell. You brought it up before, so now we're going to jump into it. Your character, R.I.P. I remember when he was first created, it was very much a, a, a sort of a throwback to the original uh, grave, gra- grave graveyard, grave digger. Uh, if you could yep. think like Undertaker in the, in the 90s, that very much torn up, dirty kind of look to Taker where it looked like, hey, he's, this guy's just come from a graveyard. It was appearance-wise, it was almost a nod to that kind of thing. Not so much the hat and the cloak and things like that, but the very disheveled, I want to say, kind of look to him. Uh, yeah. How much how much input did you have on this or was this a, was this all generated via Hawk at this point? Um, Pete, Hawk would tell me what to do like he did with everyone else yeah. when it comes to character. I remember like my, my first match, I'm like, Oh, how am I going to look for this? Yeah. And Pete stuck his hand into this black paint face paint, like a, a little tub of it. And then just <laughs> yeah. slapped my face with it and just rubbed this black shit all over me. And it looked like I was cosplaying like a, a an African American person or something. It looked offensive. <laughs> Tropic thunder. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I go out there and I wrestle a match and all this, and um, I've, I have no idea what my character is. And but he wanted me to find my own fit. He wanted me to be a, a, a shooter and go out there and beat the crap out of people. And and I was very soft spoken and naive at the time and didn't know my spot, so I had to discover it myself. But um, with the paint, I remember coming into the dressing room, and um the the vets the veterans were all looked at me and, and started singing um chim chimney chim chimney chim chim choo so <laughs> referring to me as a chimney sweep and so i knew that wouldn't work so i hated that and so i addressed it with hawk and you know he wasn't happy about me not having black face paint anymore but he agreed with it in the end um and so we we just kept trialing different ways to get my character out there and i um I, it took me a long time to find my feet. Like I know I tagged with scorn for a long time, about almost two years. And, you know, we wrestled a lot of crazy matches where, you know, uh, people's mum would get into the, into the ring and defend their wrestler son. And, um, (laughs) we'd have to try and wrestle her out of the ring. Um, I think someone's girlfriend got in the ring as well. And, um, all sorts of crazy stuff would happen. And I got to learn my feet a little bit. And I remember one time um, we were um, doing a promo and we were being referred to as, you know, bad guys and being dickheads and that. And um, and then there was an awkward pause 
like someone had mm. forgot their their line, what to say. And I remember I just snatched the microphone and I said, what are you saying? We are, we are lovely people. We are, we are lovely people. And the crowd just thought it was funny. You know, we're all dressed in black and look like serial killers and referring to ourselves as good guys. They thought that was funny. And then so every now and then I'd make a little joke when I'm wrestling or um, move a certain way to look hokey. And then it, um, Pete hated it. He hated the comedic style of my character. Um, but what I kind of tried to change it as was um, a schizophrenic because I, I work in mental health and I see this stuff every day. And oh. it's it's not mocking them. It's, it's trying to depict it in a way where um, it's um, – it's like a character study, I guess. Yeah. Um, like an awareness. And so I, hey? Like an awareness kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I've worked with gentlemen who um, their mouths would quiver um, wow. when they're talking or that their hands will shake at certain times when they're agitated and stuff like that. And I've kind of put that into my character. And um, I added that in first, and Pete didn't like it, but I was adamant that I was doing it. And um, he eventually started to see the funny side of it. And, um, and then I added a bit of Pete to it, especially after I took over. I added the way Pete would walk to the ring and in a slow sort of gorilla-like way. And also the way he would wrestle where he'd just beat the hell out of people. And um, <laughs> yeah. so I tried to inherit that as well, but then adding a... a slightly agile sort of aspect to it as well so that's sort of the character and um, I'm trying to I always try and pick up new new ways to portray that to the crowd um, like right now the crowd are kind of supporting me because I'm on this journey of I'm trying to learn how to do a suicide dive so every show I'm hitting the ropes and going to dive out and then I hit the ropes and I bounce back into the ring and the crowd <laughs> go nuts you know yeah yeah, but um, yeah, I'm always the the crowd are with me on that journey, and they're very much used to my character, and they're like, "Oh, this guy's a bloody idiot," <laughs> and um, so then there was a storyline where I joined a cult and all, all this crazy hokey stuff. But um, you find that certain experiences you put in as a wrestler help develop your character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I know you better than anyone would understand that. That just um, a lot of your own character is a reflection of uh, something that's a part of your life, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, when I started, it was kind of like a, a very much a backwards, uh, it was backwards train ride, or it was, it, it was, it was like, I was on the right track, but I was on the wrong train. Like I was, I was starting to get out there, but I started out by impersonating WWE guys because as I've mentioned in this podcast before, I didn't feel like I had a place in that ring and I was only wrestling because the guy I was managing at that time had gotten injured. And mm. it was a, it was a kind of a process where it was like, well, what do we do? And I had always sort of done these impressions at the end of training with, you know, had, had like 10 or 15 minutes at the end of training back then where we're allowed to sort I of remember that yes. free time. And uh, I ended up, I think pedigreeing one of the, blue bags there are doing the water spray or something and and ash and another female wrestler at the time called minx was there and they thought it was the greatest thing and they ran into that little office that hawk had and he, they brought him out and they said watch this and i did it and hawk chuckled and said do you want to do that on the show and i said uh okay and he goes great 
So show in three weeks' time. You're going to do that. What? what? Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, everyone out. And I'm like, what? hang on, what? So it was a very much a, okay, well, that worked. Well, let's, what are we doing next month? And he would, he would, he would call me up on the phone and say, who are we impersonating this month? And I said, oh, um, he goes, who can you do? And I said, oh, I could do Steve Austin. Great. You're doing Steve Austin. Goodbye. Click. Yeah. Uh, once after that, Undertaker. All right. Doing that. Click. And it was getting to the point where I think I reached January 2009. And a couple of months after that, the people that I had started with, um, Blaze and Fury, had gone, we're out of here. Yeah. And it was at that moment where I thought, okay, uh, I can't do these impressions anymore. The guys I'm with, it was kind of like a other impressions and I'll come out with them. And, you know, it was very much just, a, I guess, a glorified comedy kind of mm. situation to my character at that point. But, yeah, there was a lot of times there, specifically when they left, where I was kind of like, okay, what do I want this to be? What's going to work and what's not going to work? And... Yeah, man, even up until this day, every time I go out there, I'm learning things that will, you know, will puppeteer and get those emotions that I'm looking for, get those reactions that I need to supplement or credit to whatever situation that I'm working as, either as a face or a heel. Mm. But yeah, there's a consistent learning process, man, of, hey, you know, this is going to work and yep, definitely scrap that because that's not working out. Uh, at all so yeah there's definitely a lot of times coming up with those characters where you think mm, this is going to change i mean hell i had that red jumper for god close to i don't know what was it uh four five years i had that big red jumper um it's part think, of your character yeah yeah i think up until maybe even hell maybe up until close to the end of or middle of the end of 2012 i i had that jumper and then uh, something happened to it. I can't remember what happened, but I changed it up and had like a cape or something, like to play off the superhero thing. And but yeah, I ended up working up, working out the a storyline with Hawk, where it was very much like a he was the mentor, I was the the I was the the young guy coming up, and needed needed to be steered correctly on the on the path. I was getting too involved with the with the fans cheering me on. I was more excited about that than I was about the wrestling and. Uh, yeah, he he brought me back from uh, from that kind of brink and was like, okay, you know, you got to start wrestling and you got to start training. And mm. ironically, seven years later, I'm now doing that same thing with uh, Chad Atlas down at IPW. So it is a very much a wall. Mm. I remember this, but now I'm on the other side. So, but yeah, there's a lot of times when the guys are coming up, and I used to say this to them as well, specifically in training, is that very rarely the character you start out with, the version of that character you start out with, is the one that you're going to end with. Yeah, um, yeah, very rarely. Because there's a lot of chopping changes, man. Like, um, mm. that, but it's all about experimenting and getting that vibe and getting that sort of feeling and and working out what you want to do. But bringing it back to the company now, you're you you're starting to work out a bit of a transition period. You 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 you've got that solidified. The, the wheels are turning. Everything's starting to move. You've got a supportive network behind you. Um, but just as things are starting to get on the right track here, just as things are starting to progress, the crowd numbers are up, the storyline's continuing. Hey, my character's feeling like he's got a position on this company. You're feeling like, yep, my character is RIP. This is this is working for me. All the other guys, all these elements are coming into play. You're starting to bring in people from outside. That's starting to gel. Relationships are starting to expand. Business is starting to expand. Social media is starting to expand. Then... Life at home changes. Now, I know there was a huge positive here because I <laughs> I remember many a times hitting up those local 
uh, hitting up the local, uh, I think it was a pub or a tavern. And the Hawk was never a drinker, but no. he loved to gamble. He loves yes. going on those pokies and gambling. But it was around this time, I want to say, oh, I want to say 2017, 2018 now. So we've got a couple of years under your belt as you're the owner. It'd be Hawk, 2016. Yeah. Hawk yep. has the biggest gamble of his life and it comes up big. What happens? I'm sorry, I know, I'd hate to do it, but we had to do it. Don't fret though, every Wednesday a new episode's coming out. So, the third and final part with Josh Ives, Impact Pro Wrestling Australia owner, will be out next week. And trust me, it is a part you do not want to miss. We get real personal, we actually get really deep, and we share stories that no one has heard before. Even me, I got told things I had heard before. So make sure you go back and listen to part one if you haven't. Catch part three next week. Hit up LNBC Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'll catch you next week.